for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Welcome everyone to BizTalk here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong. Well, the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China has reached a successful conclusion. China has laid out the blueprint for future development. Now, during the National Congress, it was announced that from now on, the central task of the Communist Party of China will be to lead the Chinese people of all ethnic groups in a concerted effort to realize the second centenary goal of building China into a great modern socialist country in all respects and to advance the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation on all fronts through a Chinese path to modernization. So let's dig deeper into what the National Congress means for China's road ahead and what it means for our international community. To do that, I'm joined by Victor Gao, chair professor at Suchow University, and Michael Powers, the Zurich Insurance Group chair professor at Tsinghua University School of Economics and Management. Professor Powers also teaches at Tsinghua University's Schwarzman College. Professor Gao, Professor Powers, welcome to BizTalk. Thank you. Thank you so much. China is showing the way for a new path to a nation's modernization, a path to modernization that leaves no one behind. The report to the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China elaborates on how China aims to complete its modernization process. This is the modernization of a huge population, of common prosperity for all, of both material and cultural ethical advancement, of harmony between humanity and nature, and of peaceful development. So, obviously, a lot to unpack at the 20th National Congress of the CPC. China has been talking about Chinese-style modernization in the past few years. Professor Gao, why do you think China has chosen these guiding principles for its modernization path forward? Well, I think uh, comparing China today with 44 or 43 years ago, China has already achieved a tremendous amount of economic transformation. We started more than four decades ago at very low economic development level, and China's industrial production was very minimum, for example. Mm. But now China is already the second largest economy in the world, and already the largest economy if we use purchasing power parity. And further, I think China is the largest manufacturing country, and China's industrial output is larger than the combined US, Germany, and Japanese industrial output combined. So in that sense, we should have plenty of reason to be proud of our great achievements. However, going forward, uh, what should be the focus? I think the five elements you mentioned, for example, actually reflected what we really care about, mm. because we not only need to develop still very rapidly, for example, we also need to make sure that our development can be sustainable. Yeah. And our development should lead to greater equity in the society rather than polarization, so that the Chinese society will be more equitable and yeah. people will live in greater harmony among themselves. Professor Powers, I want to get your take as well in terms of what your main takeaways are from the report uh, at the National Congress in terms of the economic development front. I think that, from my perspective, um, and I know Victor has mentioned some of the details, um, but I, I think that w what I take away um, as most important is the, the way that a number of different initiatives are being integrated. I think that if one were to one looks at the the idea closely, what 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 the government, what the, the party's talking about with modernization 
right now, there would actually be uh, a good deal of relief because um, unlike um, perhaps uh, the way a Westerner might look at a theme like modernization, it means something along the lines of improving technology and allowing technology to improve the quality of life for ordinary citizens. But it also means um, it also means bringing people into the, the economy who live in rural areas, taking advantage of the benefits of technology to, to get these people online, to get them access uh, to, to the urban markets. So all of these things are encompassed in, in, in the notion of modernization. China aims to have basically achieved modernization by the year 2035. Doing so will mark the first time in human history that an entire population of over one billion will achieve modernization. This is distinctively Chinese-style modernization. So how might it be different, you think, Professor Gao, compared to the modernization paths taken by other countries or regions? First of all, we are working for the modernization of the whole nation, mm -hmm. 1.4 billion plus people. And this number is larger than all the OECD countries combined together. Now, the second thing is that unlike, unlike many other countries, for example, if we talk about G7, they achieved their modernization using their own way, and I do not want to go into the history of uh, how they achieved that. Chinese path are very different from what they do because we never engaged in a war of aggression. We never go out to plunder resources of other countries. We never enslave a nation or a tribe for our own benefit to the dis, uh, uh, disadvantage of other people, for example. And we have managed to achieve whatever we have up to today purely through peaceful engagement with the rest of the world. Mm. And then by lifting 800 million people out of abject poverty, this is unheard of. This, is, this number is larger than all the number of people lifted out of poverty by the whole world other than China after the Industrial Revolution. Mm. Professor Powers, I know you want to add something to this, but I, I want to talk about modernization for a huge population because this was the first element that was talked about. What do you think China's path towards modernization means for the world? What is the significance here, you think? Modernization, Victor indicated that um, that term might, might cause some concern. Um, let's say in the United States or in the West, um, in that China is, is moving forward, its economy is growing, its technology is unsurpassed in some areas. Uh, this, this causes some fear, some concern in, in, in countries, um, in, in, in particularly in the West. I think it's very important for people outside China to understand um, that this is not just a narrow, one-off, singular theme but rather it's a description of the interplay of many complex components. About this particular Congress is, I think, um, from, from my perspective anyway, I was able to see um, more clearly than before just how all of these, these different things are working together. I think it would also become less intimidating uh, to, to people in other parts of the world as well. Yeah. Coming up next, China has moved away from high-speed growth to focus on high-quality development. So what does China mean when it makes this distinction?
of development that's high quality. High quality development, we used to enjoy very high speed development and the world knows that for sure. So what is the high quality development? I think this will keep us thinking about it, talking about it, reading about it for many years to come. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Pursuing high-quality development has become one of the essential requirements for China's modernization. To build a modern socialist country in all respects, China must first and foremost pursue high-quality development. That was one of the key messages from the 20th CPC National Congress, adding that development is the Communist Party of China's top priority in governing and rejuvenating China. At the 20th National Congress, General Secretary Xi Jinping said that China will accelerate a new development pattern and accelerate high-quality development. And Professor Powers, I'm going to ask you this as well, but Professor Gao, what do you think about these guiding principles? China uh, really uh, marches into the forefront of leading technologies because China does not want to be uh, suffering another stranglehold imposed by any other country in key sectors, for example. That means we need to constantly pay more attention, uh, spend more resources in education, vocational training, for example, and then encouraging scientists, uh, technicians uh, of all kinds really to do their research and come up with innovative ways of doing things. Mm. Now the whole society will also be encouraged very much to be innovation driven. And I think this will really uh, ensure that the Chinese economic development will be more sustainable, will be long lasting for example. Over the past decade, China significantly increased its economic strength. The country's per capita GDP is now on par with a mid-level developed country. The 20th CPC National Congress determined that China will accelerate the creation of a new development pattern, focusing on the domestic economy and featuring a positive interplay between domestic and international economic flows. High-quality development is so important, and to get there, the new development philosophy has to be applied. So China has this term called the new development philosophy, and that's uh, a development philosophy that's based on innovation, coordinated, green, open, and shared. Uh, Professor Powers, what do you think about these guiding principles of the new development philosophy? It's extremely complex. Um, an economy is a very, very complicated entity or organism. Um, it has many facets. Um, and the, this description of the, the Chinese program of development and the, the different components that are stressed is very important so that we sort of look under the hood and we, we see how uh, at least some of, of the main channels of, of success um, can be achieved. I would also want to um, focus a bit on the, um, the, the role of the dual circulation strategy, the, the impact of high quality uh, production, high quality manufacturing on this 
a dual circulation strategy. The leadership in the country is not going to abandon manufacturing because it's so enthralled by invention. It's going to proceed with a balanced uh, approach, a recognition of the importance of each of these components in the economy, which is sometimes something that, that, that is overlooked in the West, I think, where, where, where people say, well, we can, we can make more money, we can be more successful with less work by, by providing services, by inventing things, by jumping into the information, um, the information technological sphere. Hmm. Um, and then it's kind of abandoning basic manufacturing. And, and there is such a thing as high quality manufacturing as yeah. well. China has underscored the importance of supply-side structural reform in creating a stronger domestic market. First advocated by General Secretary Xi Jinping in 2015, supply-side structural reform focuses on improving efficiency, reducing overcapacity, cutting excess inventories, and promoting innovation in the pursuit of high-quality development. Speaking of the supply side, at the National Congress, General Secretary Xi Jinping also said that China will make sure that the country's implementation of the strategy to expand domestic demand is integrated with the nation's efforts to deepen supply-side structural reform. Uh, Professor Gao, why do you think supply-side structural reform is so important for China to have a better domestic consumption environment? Well, in any market, I think supply and demand should be uh, more realigned to each other in a very rational way. Now, in China, supply side is very important. We need to really do this reform of the supply side uh, restructuring to make sure, first of all, the supply will be made available to as many people or entities in China on equal footing. That means whether you are a foreign enterprise or me as a private enterprise, we will have equal access to all these things, and that lever is controlled by the government. Yeah. And then further, I would say, there is an out-of-balance situation involving, for example, uh, inventory, or when some enterprises have much higher leverage than others, for example. So I think in a country like China, where the government still plays a very, very important role, they need to reform the supply-side equation. And I think this is exactly what Mr. Xi Jinping has emphasized, that we need to really stimulate the demand side so that there will be greater consumption. And then the supply-side reform will need to uh, continue. Uh, Professor Powers, why is that so crucial to boosting demand in this country, especially, I guess, for, for the future consumer needs? of China. As part of the, this equilibrium that toward, toward which we're, we're striving of a larger middle class, a wealthier middle class, uh, purchasing more, growing the economy, um, obviously higher quality goods and services plays an important role there. Hmm. Um, and a, as I mentioned earlier, the people producing those higher quality goods and services are going to be earning more, greater incomes, making more money, and that um, creates further momentum for, for enlarging the um, prosperity of the nation. Coming up next, what kind of development does China want? One that offers the people and industries efficiency, fairness, and sustainability. I, I see how um, the, the integration of, of these various programs is taking place and how the, the party and the government, uh, the nation's leaders, um, intend to, to bring them together um, for the benefit not only of, of people in China, but of people around the world.
Dunhuang. Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why we love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. China has made a commitment to its more than 1.4 billion people that no region, no ethnic group, and no one will be left behind in the country's modernization drive. The past 10 years marked the final stages of China's charge to sweep away the millennia-old problem of absolute poverty. The low-hanging fruits were picked. The last leg of the battle against poverty was the most challenging, testing the resolve of those that govern. But from the central government to those that serve in the remotest of villages, China stood as one, unwavering in its commitment to eradicate absolute poverty. Since 2012, the final 99 million impoverished rural residents heaved off the heavy weight of extreme destitution. The elimination of absolute poverty marked a major step towards attaining a key goal of China's modernization, common prosperity for all. Common prosperity is so important for China to really build itself up as a modern socialist nation. This is a fundamental uh, development concept for China going forward. Professor Powers, I want to ask you first, what is common prosperity not? Because it seems like there's a lot of misconceptions overseas about what exactly is common prosperity? What is it not, first of all? Well, I don't think that it's too difficult to understand why there might be some confusion. Mm. Um, if you are, let's say, sitting in the United States and you you don't have that much direct contact with China, its government or economy, uh, the media, and you hear common prosperity, this initiative, um, as a description of a policy program, uh, you might think, well, okay, China, socialist, communist, common prosperity, uh, this must mean that the government is going to take away money from the people that are making money in business and give it to somebody else because that's what socialism does. That's a simple-minded view of many people in the West. And when you say common prosperity, that's what it may sound like to them. Mm. But that's not what it is. What it is is bringing more people into the economy, giving them more opportunity to participate in the economy. So this isn't, this isn't like um, you know, many of the pr progressive reforms that you might see in the West where people do want to help those who are less fortunate, underprivileged, not benefiting from the success in the economy, but they do it through simple redistribution. That's not what common prosperity is. Professor Gao, do you have anything to add to that? Because this is really about enlarging the economic pie. It's Absolutely. about bringing more people into the middle income. This common prosperity idea is crucial for China's uh, future economic development. And I think common prosperity means that Everyone in China will not be, no one will be left behind.
Yeah. And so long as you work, abide by the law, using your creativity and innovation, you make your own decent money. And the government will be responsible for redistribution at a secondary, a higher level of analysis, so that no one in China will be disadvantaged. That is the common prosperity goal I think we are moving into. And the purpose is to make sure that China as a society will be more equitable. Mm. And there will be no extreme bipolarization of income. The report of the 20th CPC National Congress said that the system of income distribution is the foundational system for promoting common prosperity. That China will ensure more pay for more work and encourage people to achieve prosperity through hard work. China also aims to promote equality of opportunity increase the incomes of low-income earners and expand the size of the middle-income group. And I guess it's also really about making sure the wealth gap doesn't really become so wide that it becomes an unbridgeable gulf. It has several meanings as far as I can read. One is that it doesn't mean that China will hinder anyone with talents, with mm. skills, with entrepreneurship who can make more money through their hard work, through their creativity. Now, the second thing is equally important. That is, if I make income, I need to abide by the laws. I need to pay the tax due on the income. I cannot hide away my income, for example, and dodging tax, avoiding tax, evading tax, for example. That's illegal. Now, the other thing is that if you look at people of different kinds in different parts of the China, China. Uh, some are advantaged, some are disadvantaged. For example, Guangdong, Shanghai, Zhejiang, um, Jiangsu, my home province, uh, they are better richly endowed in terms of the weather, for example, climate, land resources, etc. If you talk about other places, for example, Gansu, Ningxia, in remote areas, in border regions, for example, the natural resources probably cannot be compared with uh, coastal regions, then for the government, they need to do this kind of a social redistribution. That is, they need to collect more from more developed regions and distribute to people in the more uh, impoverished regions. Mm -hmm. So that no one in China, in any part of China, need to worry, oh my God, I need to leave and abandon my home to go to somewhere else, because otherwise, I cannot really uplift myself. I'll be burdened down by poverty. And I think that's a crucial element, Professor Powers, of common prosperity, is making sure this wealth gap is narrowed, because for certain developed economies, you do see this really wide wealth gap. It's incredibly important, just in terms of human dignity, as you, you suggested. And, and I want to emphasize that the sustainability aspect is really crucial um, and, and I think it's something that's intrinsically different between the Common Prosperity Initiative and, and progressive initiatives that you might see elsewhere in the world. We have better jobs, we have higher-end jobs producing higher quality goods and services. They will pay better. Uh, this will enable the middle-income population in the country to grow. Um, and that middle-income um, middle population, which um, will be more prosperous, you know, a larger number of people will be more prosperous. They will also be customers. Mm. And they will be customers who will purchase some goods overseas, of course, but also um, they will provide a very, very important component for um, demand for domestically 
of produced goods and services. The report of the 20th CPC National Congress called for accelerating China's transition to a model of green development. Green development and promoting harmony between humanity and nature are deemed essential to China's modernization drive. The country has vowed to peak its carbon emissions by 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality before 2060. China's scale means its green development transition has global implications. The country has actively participated in global environmental governance and cooperation to address climate challenges. And for China's development going forward, does it seem like, Professor Powers, perhaps China is rethinking development? Because what China is proposing is that economic development and protecting the environment, these don't have to be mutually exclusive. Oh, I, I agree. And I do think that the, the, the country has been rethinking and continues to rethink development, to, to reinvent ideas of economic development. Um, it means that the, the nation is going to um, have more ability to um, improve the relationship between humanity and the environment. It means that, that through better technology, through greener technology, more efficient production, um, we're going to be able to move forward without as much damage. So all of these things are encompassed in, in, in the notion of modernization. Uh, Professor Gao, last question to you. You mentioned China's economic output doubling in the past 10 years. Per capita uh, incomes have doubled. Per capita GDP have also doubled. And yet, in the past 10 years, uh, with the doubling of all three elements, China uh, reduced its carbon emissions by 34.4%. Is that going to propel China to become a world leader in green technologies, green development, and green living? Absolutely. China is already the leader in solar panel uh, production, solar uh, power, and wind power, and many other new and renewable sources of energy, both as you know, uh, uh, generator of power from these new and renewable sources, as well as equipment manufacturing. And China is the largest exporter for all these materials, equipment to the rest of the world. However, what China is doing can be further enhanced and improved. And then, given China's manufacturing capacities, mobilization abilities, for example, China can really be the powerhouse in uh, pushing through the new sources of energy of all kinds coming down the road. I would say China's contribution to itself as well as to mankind in green power, green development, yeah. is the most important thing in the world today. I think that provides a lot of inspiration for other emerging and developing economies to make this green transition as well. Uh, great uh, topic of discussion, great dialogue. Thank you so much for your time, Professor you. Gao from Suchao University and Professor Michael My Powers pleasure. from Tsinghua University. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China details China's journey and achievements in the past five to ten years, but it also provides a vision, of course, forward for a nation of 1.4 billion people. Now, China's journey is also the world's opportunity. The messages from the 20th CPC National Congress make it clear that China's efforts to improve the well-being of its people will also provide tremendous opportunities for the growth, stability, and development of the rest of the world. And that's going to do it for this edition of BizTalk here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong in Beijing. We'll see you again next time.